Yes, you did. I'm going to be a doctor before the end of the week. (laughs) Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3, and let's stand together out of respect for God, God and His Word. Um, It's good to see Bo Wagner here. Bo uh, was in my youth group. I was a youth director for about two months and uh, no, it was about one year, when one or two years when we were, uh, Bo Williams, sorry, what did I say? Bo Wagner's a preacher in Shelby, North Carolina, but Bo Williams was in my youth group uh, for about a year, and uh, we had a youth group with four people, and I think it ended up being about 24, 25, uh, within a year, God really gave us some good times, but uh, Bo's a great, great Christian, and good to see Bo here, and his son, Colin, and uh, look forward to some fellowship afterwards. Over here, got one of my dear, dear friends, Gary, over here, Gary Jupree. We've done revival meetings for Brother Gary before, and uh, just really good, looking forward to being with him. We've had some really good times before, and uh, just a lot of good friends here in, in the church, and I don't want to miss anybody, but we're just looking forward to being back with you, especially I'm looking forward to being with Pastor again. You know, I was with Pastor Day, and we were looking, I was looking at him, and uh, I was looking uh, at him, and you know what I saw? Um, I actually saw his dad. I, he looked dead. Yeah, I saw his dad. And uh, don't you miss, don't you miss Dr. Jesse? Yeah, what a great, great man of God. There are many times I'd come here, and usually when I go somewhere to a revival meeting, I try to get a room alone where I can study and, uh, and be prepared in my heart and everything. But Dr. Jesse asked me if I wanted to just use that table over there in his office. Well, I was going to go in that office because I wanted to be around him and uh, just let a little bit of him rub off on me. And he, then he uh, showed me that uh, boy that you put a quarter in and it does its pants drop on you. You remember that one? <laughs> cannot believe how how carnal he was, but uh, he was a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun, and uh, he gave me a couple of his sermons. You might hear me preach one of them, but uh, what a great man of God he was. But uh, I looked at Pastor Bloom today, and I saw in his eyes, I thought I was looking at his dad. Now, now listen to what I'm saying on that. When I look at his dad, I, I saw just a great man of God. I've always thought Pastor Bloom, Andy Bloom to be a great man of God, but I really, really saw uh, in Dr. Jesse Bloom the eyes of a man who walked with God, and I saw in Pastor Andy Bloom today the eyes of a man who walked with God, and I am really looking forward to the fellowship today and this week. Well, let's take our Bibles and let's look at Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse... 13, and he goeth up into a mountain, and he calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the Word of God and for the Spirit of God, and with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we have what we need, and we thank you, Lord that you are still alive, and that you still have a great work for your church, and that you love us, and Lord, that you 
still will give us all that we need to have joy in life, purpose in life, and effectiveness in life. And so, Lord, please use the word tonight, this week. Revive us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. What does God, what does God want from you? Does he want service? What does God want from you? What does God want from me? Does God want obedience? Is that what he is seeing in our lives that he's lack, that we're lacking and that he wants? Does God want prayer from us? Does he want us to start praying more? What does God want? Does he want us to sacrifice? Now, how many would agree that God wants all of these things? He does. Now, what do you want holiness from us? And holiness is a uh, missing commodity. It's a valuable thing when you find somebody who's truly trying to walk with God. And that's what God wants from all of us, holiness. And so we can name all these things that God might want from us. We could be thinking of all these things that we need to be giving to God. But you know what we often miss is that the thing, and I don't mean to say this tritely, but the thing that God wants from us more than anything and before anything is God wants us. And so often we think about um, soul winning, we think about holiness, and we must pursue holiness. We must have holiness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And it cannot be my kind of holiness. It can't even be necessarily your opinion of holiness, but it has to be real holiness. Now, we can't have a fellowship with God without holiness, but the goal is a fellowship with God. Now, the first thing that God wants from us more than anything is that God wants us. Now, as you read through this passage, you find that there are the disciples. They're gathered around, and it says that he brought the twelve to him that they should be with them, and then he might send them forth to preach. And we often think about sending forth to preach, but we overlook that first part, that, that we should be with him. And I wonder if so many times, if, if we might be guilty of doing what is happening so many times, getting the cart before the horse, getting the work of God before the power of God that enables it, getting the standards before the relationship with the person, and please, understand, we have to have holiness so we not see God. I'm not diminishing the importance of holiness, but our focus needs to first be on being with Him before we can ever effectively serve Him. Now, in this passage, as He calls the twelve, we think of them as the people that turn the world upside down, and we all want to be people that turn the world upside down. I want to be a person that turns the world upside down. But before he ever called them to do anything for them, he, for him, he called them to be with him. And so what I want to preach on tonight is a very important part of your Christianity and mine. Before we ever do anything for him, we need to ask ourselves, are we connected to him? Are we connected to him? Now, as we look at this tonight, I'm going to look at this idea of being connected to Christ and the importance of it from three different aspects. And I hope that this will help us and challenge us to get this thing going. Not get going, not get busy, but first 
get our relationship with Jesus going. All right, now the first aspect that we want to look at this truth from is the overlooked call. Now, that they should be with him and that he would send them forth to preach. And often we look at the sending forth to preach before we're looking at the aspect of he said that he wanted them to be with him. Now, did you know that before God ever wants you to serve him, even more than that you preach, or even more than that you sacrifice, or even more than that you do these things, God desires for you to just be with him. Matthew eight twenty two. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury the dead. Matthew 9, 9. Jesus passed forth from thence, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed and he rose and followed him. There was not one mention of serve me yet, but be with me. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Just be with me. Speaking to the rich man, come, take up thy cross and follow me. Speaking to Philip, the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he findeth Philip sitting and said unto him, Follow me, that's be with me. And John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They are with me. And this is the first thing that Jesus desires from any of us. Now, when we think of Jesus coming to the earth, we think of him saving people from going to hell. And it's true that he came to save people not willing any would perish. But the Bible says in Romans 5.10 that when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. And the purpose of Christ's work was not just to give us escape from hell, but it was to bring man to God. And His purpose for us all is that we would be reconciled to Him, would be with Him, and in union with Him. Now, think about the passage of John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me. Abide. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And the idea of abiding is illustrated by the branch and the vine. And when the branch is connected to the vine, it lives. When it's disconnected from the vine, it dies. And so the important thing is to stay connected so we live. And we have a vibrant spiritual life. And then we grow and we bear blossom and we bear fruit. So the beauty comes, the fruit comes, and all of that. But what he wants first is us to be with him. Now, one day, I was thinking about my ministry as an evangelist, call it midlife crisis, and I was wondering, how can I tell if I've been an effective evangelist, if I see X amount of people get saved? And I thought, if I were to see 10 people saved in every revival meeting, and I don't, and I were to do 40 revival meetings, I would see 400 saved in one year. Now, that would be exciting. If I did it for 10 years, I'd see 4,000 saved, 20 years 8,000 saved, and if I did 50 years, I would see thousands and thousands of people saved. 
Now, that would be a very exciting thing, but let's say I saw 20,000 people saved in my entire ministry. There are 7 billion people in the world. Now, if I only see 20,000 people come to know Jesus, and there are 7 billion people in the world, I'm not even putting a dent in success. If the whole ultimate goal is simply to see people saved. So then I began to think, when am I successful? Is it when I see a lot of people turn from sin? Now, I preach strongly against unrighteousness. People need to turn from their sin. But if somebody turns from their sin, but they don't really get connected to God, then we're not ultimately where they need to be. Now, there are unsaved people that live good lives. Now, you living a good life, my living a good life, our being concerned about holiness is a very important thing. There's nobody who's going to be in fellowship with God who's not concerned about holiness. But the ultimate goal is not just to be good. The ultimate goal for us all, if we're really going to please God, is not just to live holy in front of Him. The ultimate goal, if we are to please God, is that we would be connected with Him. Now, in the Bible it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 that God has given to us ministry. And what is that ministry? It is the ministry of reconciliation. And what God wants is for us to be connected to Him. Now, I'm going to ask you right now, do you need a revival spiritually? Do you need a reviving in your soul? If you start thinking, okay, I want a reviving spiritually, and you start thinking, okay, I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to stop doing that, that's a good place maybe to start. Get rid of the baggage. Get rid of the things that are between you and God. I need to get rid of those things that would come between me and God. But if you're thinking, I need a revival, I'm going to get rid of this baggage, I'm going to get committed to this action, and you don't understand that what I'm really lacking and what I'm missing in my soul is a closeness with God, then you're not going to have a reviving. Reviving is when a man's relationship with God comes to life again. And what we need is not just clean it up, Get more dedicated, though we need to clean it up and get more dedicated. But what the real um, heart of the issue is, we need to be connected to the God that we've become distant to or distant with. Now, what God wants us to focus on tonight is our relationship with Him. Are we connected? Is there an uninterrupted union? I know that we kind of talk about un, a union with Jesus and we kind of understand, try to understand what that means. Right? Union with Jesus is probably something that we can only experience by faith. I can't see him. I can't verbally talk to him and verbally hear him. But by faith, I'm connected to him. And by faith, I believe everything that he says is true. I believe by faith he loves me. I believe that. And I enjoy that. And I rest in that. I experience that by faith. I believe by faith that I'm forgiven of my sins when I ask Him to. And I don't deserve it. I believe by faith that I have the righteousness of Jesus. And I appreciate that. 
Now, there's the practical holiness where we have to live the holy life, but then there's positional holiness. We have the righteousness of Christ, and we begin to appreciate and enjoy it by faith. And by faith, I believe that he gives me wisdom. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Don't just sit there and figure it out. Let him ask. Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. And again, it's a by faith thing. Now, are you somebody, am I someone who believes that I am in union and connected to Jesus? Am I somebody, are you somebody who believes by faith that he will cleanse you? Are you someone, am I someone who by faith believes, because I'm connected to him by faith, that he will give me wisdom and direction, and he will make something of my life. Am I somebody, are you someone who is connected to Jesus? Now, what he wants is not what we do for him first, but he wants us. Now, the two most endearing relationships a person can ever have is family and friends. Now, I want you to notice in Mark chapter 9, let's turn back here, and he calls the disciples, and he names who they are, in verse 16. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, Mark 3, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed the Boanerges, which is sons of Thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Now get verse 21. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, and they said, He is beside himself. Now the very first thing, after Jesus called his disciples, this event took place, and I think God wanted it to take place. All the friends, multitude comes around, and Jesus is teaching them. And as he's teaching them, the friends come around, and they say, Who's Jesus think he is? He's got all these people following him. He thinks he's a big shot. And here's what's happening. His friends that he grew up with are saying, What's Jesus doing? And I think what Jesus is really doing in this event is he's saying to his disciples, these people think they're my friends because they grew up with me. They're not my friends. They don't even believe in me. And he's saying to his disciples, you're my friends. Now, in John, he says, henceforth I have not called you servants, but I have called you what? Friends. Now, please don't think that I'm just going weak. Don't think that I don't believe in holiness. Don't think that I'm saying it doesn't matter. It does matter. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. But the cart before the horse, the first things first. And so often we miss out on success in our Christian life and joy in our Christian life and a reviving our Christian life because we start looking at all that we're to do instead of the person that we're doing these things for. Now, he says... You are my friends. Now, the second dearing relationship would be even more important than that would be family. Now, notice verse 31. Then came his brother and his mother standing without 
unto him, calling him, and the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brethren? And he looked round about them, the disciples, which were set about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. All right, now look up here, if you will, and understand and appreciate this. God calls us the bride of Christ. God calls us friends, not just servants. God calls us family. And when we look at this, we're looking for change this, do that, fix that, sacrifice here, and all these things are needed. Have you ever seen somebody who loved a family member not willing to sacrifice for them? Have you ever seen a friend who loves a friend willing to sacrifice for them? When we look at Jesus and we get connected as family and as the child of God, as we see that we are the friends of God, it motivates us even to a greater service. But we have to start by understanding that long before God ever asked anybody to do anything for him, he calls us to be with him. Now, a simple thing as we begin the meeting is, are you being with him? Are you spending time with him? Are you reading the word of God? Then fix it if you're not. Are you praying? If you're not, then fix that. Are you taking your drinks, your daily walks in the Garden of Eden with God? Are you fellowshipping? Am I fellowshipping? And if we're not, we need to be. And so that one thought, the overlooked call, can be life-changing. Now, the second thing I want to look at, this same thought, our first call, by this perspective, the order of the call. How many of you have ever looked at a statue before, and you saw it from the front, and you appreciated an angle of it, then you went to the side, and you saw another angle, and you appreciated it then from the third angle? And then sometimes you look from the back, and you see a different aspect of the same statue. Well, the statue we're looking at tonight is the first call, be with me. And are we with him? Or are we just doing for him? Are we connected to him? Are we revived in our relationship with him? All right, now the first part from this perspective is be with me. The overlooked call. Be with me from this perspective. The order of the call. Now often when orders are given in a specific order, it is for good reason. All right, he says, be with me that I might send you forth to preach. Why is it given that order? First, it's a... Uh, priority. Now, before God ever wants us to do anything, he wants us to be connected to him, and we need to start there, connected to him. Now, in the scriptures, we read about Mary and Martha. They're two sisters, and Martha is very busy in the kitchen. And you know the story that Mary is at the feet of Jesus and Martha says, Jesus, tell Mary to get out here and help me. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the better part. Now, if there's anybody who ought to be dedicated to serving the Lord, it ought to be a fellow named Lazarus. Lazarus was a dead man 
but he was resurrected from the dead. Now, in John chapter 11, Lazarus was raised from the dead, and what was he doing then in John chapter 12? John 12 and verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead in John chapter 11 and John chapter 12, Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, you would think if anybody would be out there handing out tracts and doing the things that we need to be doing and we need to be getting to doing and doing all of that, it would be a fellow raised from the dead. But what was Lazarus doing first before he ever went to preach? He was being with him. And I'm telling you, this is scriptural. We have to be with him. We have to be connected to him. And we can be a body of people that know about him, love to talk about him, maybe want others to find him, while we ourselves are distant from him. And there's not one person in this room, including me behind the pulpit, who has to be distant from him. We need to be connected to him. Now, this is the priority. Now, how many of you have ever told your children, brush your teeth and go to bed? And then they go to bed and you ask them, did you brush your teeth? And they say, no. And you say, I told you to brush your teeth and go to bed. And what if they were to come back to you and say, well, you said to brush your teeth and go to bed. Well, I went to bed. That is not something that you would accept. And when God says, be with me that I might send you forth to preach, he won't accept that we're just out there. He wants us to be connected to him. So are we connected to him? Are we having fellowship with him? Now, as a body, as individuals in the body, are we with him? Or are we talking about him? Are we with him? Or do we just want people to be followers of him? Do we just want people to act like him? Do we just want to conform to acting like him? Do we just feel more comfortable acting like him? Or are we with him? And we need to be with him. This is the priority. Now, as we consider what we want to see happen, and we want to see the community one for Christ and more people one to Christ, we also can look at this. The order of the call has a purpose. Now, many times you have orders that are given, and there is a purpose for it. When you say to your children, stop talking and listen to me. Now, why do you say stop talking and listen? It's because they have to stop talking before they can listen. And when you say, go to the store and get some milk, why do you say go to the store and get some milk? Because before you can get the milk, you have to go to the store. You don't go to the milk and then go to the store. Now, when you say brush your teeth and go to bed, there's a purpose. Um, it's a priority. And then when you say stop talking and listen, there's a purpose. You've got to quit talking before you can listen. And when he says be with me that I might send you forth to preach, there's a purpose. Before we can effectively preach for him, we've got to be with him. Now, have you ever tried to sell a product to somebody that you weren't so convinced was that good of a product? And I think sometimes we tell people about Jesus giving peace, but we haven't experienced it because we're not connected to him. We talk about Jesus giving joy, but many people don't have that joy because they're not connected to him. And 
Sometimes I look at my own life and I, and I see, do I talk about people having joy, but I not experience that same joy. There are seasons that we go through and the only way that we can experience the joy that we talk about is to be with the one that we're talking about. And this is a priority, but there's a purpose. Now, one day I was talking to a Bible college and I was going to preach to them. And I thought, well, I want to get ready and make sure that what I do at the Bible college is really going to be a help. And I thought, well, how did Jesus prepare the disciples to turn the world upside down? So I began to study how Jesus prepared and taught the disciples. And I learned something. It touched my heart. And I think it has greatly affected my life. I looked at Mark 3, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 6, and I saw something that I never saw before. And so what we're going to do is skim through this real quickly, and I think you'll catch on. All right, let's take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, notice what the disciples did for the first several days and perhaps even months of their time with Jesus. Mark chapter 3. Now, you notice in verse 13 through 18 and 19, he calls the 11 disciples. And the very first illustration he gives them or the first event that takes place in verse 20 and 21, multitudes come together and Jesus illustrates these people think they're my friends, but they're not. They don't even believe in me. They think I'm crazy. And he's illustrating that you are my friends. And then Jesus teaches about the unpardonable sin to the scribes in verse 22 through 30. But the disciples just listen. Now then, in verse 31 through 35, Jesus teaches his disciples that they are his family. Now, how many sermons did the disciples preach in Mark 3? None. How many tracts did they give out so far? None. How many people have they reached for the Lord? None. They just were with him. Now look at Mark chapter 4 and notice what the disciples do in Mark 4 in verses 1 through 9. In Mark 4 verse 1, he began again to teach by the seaside, not the disciples, but Jesus. Now verse 2, and he taught them many things by parables. And you see that the disciples stay with them while Jesus is teaching by the sea and they watch the people gather around. They see Jesus teach them. But what do they do? They just watch and listen. That's all. Now, there's something going on here. Now, notice verse 10 through 20. As you skim through it, he gets along with them after the message, and he explains to them what the parable that he just taught them meant. And what do they do? They listen. They listen. That's it. Verse 21 through 31, he teaches again in parables, but what do the disciples do? They just listen. And as you look at verse 33 through 34, what happens here? Jesus again teaches in parables. Verse 33, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Now then, in verse 35 through 41, they get in a boat, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side, and the storm comes up. But notice verse 39, and he, Jesus, arose and rebuked the storm. What did the disciples do when Jesus rebuked the storm? 
They just watched in amazement. Now, how many of you would have been impressed if you saw Jesus stop the storm? So they're with him. They're with him. Now, how many sermons did they preach yet? How many gospel tracts? I'm not belittling the gospel tracts. I hand them. We need to hand them. We need to do more than what we're doing. But I'm saying, as we come to this revival meeting, is it okay? I hope you understand where I'm coming from. You can have expectations, and I can have expectations. We're going to strive for holiness, and we are. I can have expectations. You can have expectations. We're going to get going again. And reach this community. And we are with God's help. But you can come in and I can come in with all these expectations and miss the most important thing. That we need a reviving of our relationships with God. That we need to be with Him. Are you with Him? Are you doing devotions? As simple as that. Are you communing with Him during the day? As simple as that. Are you doing any prayer time? Are you doing that? Are you relying on him? Is there an uninterrupted union with him? Now, Mark chapter 3, how many sermons did they preach yet? None. Mark chapter 4, how much time went by between Mark 3, when they were called, and the end of Mark chapter 4? I don't know, but I would say days. I would say maybe days and possibly weeks. Now, then go to Mark chapter 5, and I want you to follow me. How many sermons did they preach in Mark chapter 4? What's the answer? None. How many gospel tracts have they given out so far? Don't belittle gospel tracts, but how many have they given out so far? None. And how many times did they sing a service, sing a song in a service? None. How many offerings did they take? None. How many services did they attend? Well, there were some preaching services. But the thing was, they were with him. If he was here, they were there. If he was there, they were there. And wherever he went, they focused on being with him. Now, Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came over the other side of the sea into the country of the Gatherings. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And notice verse 8. He said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now, did the disciples ever cast demons out of people? The answer is yes. But did they do that yet? No. They were just with him. Now, as you continue through Mark chapter 5, it says that uh, people asked Jesus to leave, and he departed in verse 20. In uh, verse 21, it says, Jesus healed the woman with an issue of blood. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, as you continue through the whole chapter. Now, more time is going by, and more things are being done, but none of these things are being done by the disciples yet. They're just with him. Now, Mark 3, Mark 4, Mark 5, a lot of time has gone by, but the disciples have just been with him, uninterrupted union, and there's something to that. Now, I want you to look at Mark chapter 6, and I want you to look at verse 1. It says, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples what? Follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to preach, teach, not the disciples. All right, verse 4. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and he could do there no mighty work. Verse 5. And verse 6. He, Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. And he, Jesus, Jesus, not 
He sent them to go into the communities and villages teaching. He went round about the villages teaching. He did all of the teaching. He did all of the ministering, the healing, the casting out of the devils. Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, part of Mark chapter 6. Now, look at chapter 6 and verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve, and here's the key word, began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Now, the word began means it wasn't started yet. And this might seem very simple. It might seem a little bit boring. And I tell you what, I almost wrestled with this a little bit because I, I just wrestled with it. But I'm not very smart. That's all God gave me. I'm kidding about that. I'm not very smart. I'm not kidding about that. But this is what God gave me to preach. In Mark 3, Mark 4, Mark 5, part of Mark 6, they didn't do one thing in way of service yet. But then all of a sudden, Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, he began to send them forth to preach. And here's what that points out. There's a reason that God said, just be with me, be with me, be with me, be with me, and then began to send them forth to preach. Because sometimes you have to do the first thing before you can effectively do the second thing. And when they were with him, they learned he had to be God. They saw him do miracles. They saw him calm the sea. And they saw his heart for people as he took the hand of a little girl and raised her from the dead, Jairus' daughter. And he tenderly spoke to the woman with the issue of blood. And he tenderly healed. And he preached. And he cast the demon out. And he cared about the maniac when others did not. And when he was with Jesus, the disciple was with Jesus, he learned about the character of God and the nature of man and how how God loves and how how God responds to things. And he learned some truths about God. That transformed his life. And so I think we can learn from them. We can learn from this. If we want a deep revival, a genuine revival, and not just surface changes, permanent life changes, we have to understand the importance of being with him in order to effectively serve him. It says, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now, we've got this idea of being with him, uninterrupted union. And yes, we've got the Bible reading. That has to be. That's the start. We've got the prayer. That needs to be there. And if we're not reading our Bibles, the devil's good at getting us busy. We have good intentions, but yet the devil's good. And the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And so, if we're not reading our Bibles, we got busy. Let's get back to that tangible thing that we can do to get started in our walks with God again. Carve out time to be with Him at least as much as in the Word of God on a daily basis. If we're not praying, I think we have intentions to pray, to commune with God. But if we're not because we got busy, we got sidetracked, let's fix that. 
And just like any relationship with a human being, we have to carve out time. We decide to give up an athletic dream so that we can spend time with a family member. We decide to give this up so that we can put time in that. We lay this aside so we can be with our wife or our children. Well, what is it that has taken us away from that simple start of a tangible thing that we could do, a Bible reading and prayer, lay it aside and carve out that time again to be with Him? But then continue by faith, enjoying God, connecting to God by faith, relying on Him as if we get our very life from Him because we really do. Connected, soul to soul. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, heart to heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And when our heart is connected to Him, then we get that life that a branch gets from a vine. The life stays. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you want to be connected to Jesus, you know the truth about him from the word of God. You get him, and you meditate in him, and you believe in him, and you by faith get connected to God. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. When a tree is planted by the rivers of water, there's all these sources of life. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither. And you will not wither spiritually, and I will not wither spiritually if we are with Him, connected to Him. And we will be, be strong and fresh and vibrant and fruitful. Now, be with me that I might send you forth to preach the order of the call, its priority, and there's a purpose. We can't effectively serve God before we first are with Him. Now, first we have um, this idea of our first call was being with Him. That's what He wants before He says, go forth and preach, be with Him. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Now, you're the judge. It's not, do you read your Bible one hour a day? It's not, do you only read it 30 minutes? It's not, well, you only took 15 minutes, so you're not connected with God. But it's very important to ask yourself, are you reading the Word of God? Are you as simple as that, doing that? Are you, in your estimation, connected with it? So be with me. First, the order of the call. Secondly, from this perspective, the overlooked call. And then finally, I want to look at kind of the fun part is the outcome of the call. Right, he says in verse 7 of chapter 6, the outcome of the call. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to chapter 6 there in verse 7. And while you're looking there, chapter 6 and verse 7, I want to remind you. He called them to be with him to send him forth to preach in Mark chapter 3. But in Mark chapter 3, they did nothing but be with him. Mark 4, they did nothing but be with him. Mark 5, they were just with him. He 
healed Jairus' daughter. He raised her from the dead. He healed the woman with the issue of blood, and he did it all. They just watched. They just listened. They were with him and amazed as they saw him heal people and do miracles and raise the dead. And they saw his love and his tenderness, and they just saw him, and it affected him. It affected him. Now, here is the outcome of their following that call of being with him. Notice chapter 6 and verse 7. He called unto them the twelve and began to send them forth two by two. And notice this. And gave them what? Power. And the power came after being with them for all those chapters. Now, this is why I said to these college students, before you can ever preach effectively for him, you've got to be with him because being with him is what empowers you. Just like the branch has to be connected to the vine or it won't have any life coming through it and bear fruit. You and I cannot do anything without him. As John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. Now, I personally think that that's not just I can't be a great soul winner. I can't be a great soul winner without him. But it's also I can't be a great husband. I can't be a great Sunday school teacher. I can't be a great deacon, a missionary. I can't be a good son. I can't be a good wife. I can't be good anything unless he enables me to reach my full potential in it. And without him, I can do nothing. And so I've got to understand how important he is to my life, to my fruitfulness, and to my growth. And I've got to be connected to him. Now, um, in this, he says he gave them power. Now, when we look at the disciples, we know that they're the ones that turn the world upside down. And why? It is because they were with him and they were empowered for service. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Then you shall be witnesses unto me. Now, if you consider the fact that unsaved people can teach the Bible, but no real ministry goes on. There are unsaved people that get in the pulpit every Sunday, but they don't have any real ministry going on because the Holy Spirit's not working through them. There are people that can go out and witness that know how to witness, but they're not really effective in their witness. Sometimes it's because they're not in fellowship with Him. They're trying to do for Him before they're trying to be, uh, before they're connected to Him to do it. Um, and we've got to be with Him. Now, in the Scriptures, in Acts 4, verse 13... Many of you are familiar with this. It says, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. All right, now here are some people that are theologians. All right, so you've got Annas, who was a high priest. You have James, I think, a high priest. And there's Caiaphas. And there are four priests that are named. And these four priests see Peter and John. Now, Peter and John are fishermen, and they're not trained in the Old Testament theology. They're just fishermen. But when they preach and they witness, they say there's something powerful about their preaching and there's something great about their ministry that we don't have. And what is it that makes them so different than us? We know the Hebrew, and we're the teachers of the law. Why are they so much better than us? 
They've been with Jesus. And seriously, this is what they said. They've been with Jesus. Now, is this a silly message? Is this an insignificant truth? No. Is this just a dry truth? No. We have to be with him before we can ever effectively serve him. Now, turn in your Bibles back here to Mark chapter 3. Now, would you agree with me that the ground is level at the foot of a cross? Red or yellow, black or white, we're all precious in his sight. And God doesn't care if we're preachers or if we're fishermen. As long as we are doing what God wants us to do in holiness and in fellowship with him, then he's pleased. I remember seeing a woman that came into our church one time. Actually, she'd been coming to our church for a long time. She was in a wheelchair. And when she was in that wheelchair, she also had other sicknesses. So in that wheelchair, um, she's so sick that she couldn't even talk. She could mutter a few things. She couldn't hardly move her arms. She couldn't move her legs. She couldn't even get to church without somebody picking her up and bringing her. And she just sat there on the very front, next to the front pew, and she tried to sing. But how can you sing when you can't talk? She just tried. And she couldn't tell anybody, hey, I prayed for you this week, because she couldn't talk. She couldn't go up to anybody and say, hey, what are you going through? Let me help you with that. Let me pray with you about that. And she couldn't do anything. She couldn't go up to one person and say, I'd like to tell you what Jesus did for me, because she couldn't talk. And one day, I came back from a great series of several revival meetings and seeing God do wonderful things, and I looked at her in the front, and I thought, I'm glad I've got this job and not that job. I'm glad that God lets me preach, and God didn't choose to put me in a wheelchair where I couldn't even talk. And then I thought, well, what is it that God would do that for? And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, God loves her as much as he loves me, and God doesn't love me more because I'm preaching than he does her because he put her in the wheelchair and he allowed her to be in it. And you know what? I understand. I understand that I am glorifying God when I preach and people get saved. God is getting glory from that. It's a lot of fun to see lives changed. It's the good of men and the glory of God. But you know what I also saw? God is using that lady in a great way. And she's giving God glory, how? By angels looking down and seeing the difference that Jesus makes in her life when no one else is watching. And she's totally content because of her relationship with God. So God does not necessarily love somebody more than another because he's a preacher or their person is not a preacher. But yet... The ground is level at the foot of the cross, but yet it is true that there are some people that seem to do more for the work of God than some of the rest of us. Now, as you look at this passage, there are some people here that God greatly used, and their names were Peter, James, and John. Now, let's look at this, and I'll show you something, and we'll begin to wrap this up. All right, now look at Mark chapter 3, and beginning at verse 16. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is sons of thunder. Now, a surname would mean something like a nickname. It's technically, from what I understand, a last name. But a surname 
has something to do with the character of the person. And Jesus named these people. And the first one he names Peter. And the next two he names Bonerges, which is sons of thunder. Now, most of the time we think of Peter as being the man with the big mouth who does everything wrong. But you know what? A rock is really a picture of strength. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's a compliment to him. Rock. Now, years ago, I got a nickname from Connie Boswell, Dimples. That had something to do with my smile. I got a nickname when I was at college. It was on the back of my jersey, Stoop, short for stupid. And I won't tell you why I got that. But it has something to do with your character. So God says, rock. And then he says, Bonerges, sons of thunder. Now, you know what that means? These are, in essence, the three that God used more than any of the other disciples. The three big guns. How many times have you ever heard of Peter, James, and John? And then the other ones, we've heard of them. Though the ground is level at the foot of the cross, I would like to be in the Peter, James, and John group. Now, follow me. Why were Peter and James and John more used by God than the others? I believe that it is because they were with Jesus more than any of the other disciples. Now, who was it who went in the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Peter, James, and who? John. And who was it that um, they acknowledged that they had been with Jesus? Peter and John, two of the three big guns. And then I want you to look at Mark chapter 5, and I want to show you this, and I'll give you a few illustrations and we'll be done. All right, Mark chapter 5, when Jesus went to heal Jairus' daughter and raised her from the dead, I want you to see who was with him. Now, on the way, all of his disciples were with him. The woman with the issue of blood touched him, and she was healed. And Jesus said in verse 30, who touched me? And verse 31, it says, and his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and thou seest who touched me. So notice all the disciples are with him. How many? All of the disciples are with him. Now, then he goes on, and I want you to notice when he comes to Jairus' house to raise the daughter from the dead, verse 37. When he gets to the door, all his disciples are with him, but he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John. Now, all the disciples are with him, but when he goes to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, he only allows three in there. That's Peter, James, and John. Now, who was on the mount? Peter, James, and John. Who was with him? Peter, James, and John. Who were the inner circle? Peter, James, and John. And who was more greatly used than any of the other disciples? Peter, James, and John. And I contend to us that we'll be more used if we're with him more. That's the whole idea. Now, I close with a few illustrations. I remember when I got this idea, and I'm telling you, I am telling you, I um, am learning this. And... I decided I'm not going to just go out and try to be Superman with everybody. I'm going to try to help as many people as I can, but I'm going to try to be with him. And I can remember when I was getting on a plane and I was thinking, today I'm just going to be with Jesus. I'm not going to focus on everybody I'm going to witness to, but I'm just going to be with him. Usually when I go on a plane, I try to witness to somebody and do what I should. And I want to. But this time I was thinking, first, I want to be with him. So I get on the plane, and there's nobody sitting by me. And I said, God, is there anybody you want me to witness to? And at that time, it didn't seem like God laid anybody on my heart. So I said, okay, God, I'm just going to be with you. And I took a nap.
I woke up, I felt refreshed, and I was very glad that I took that nap. And I said, God, that was wonderful. I'm ready to serve you, but I want to be with you more than anything today. That's my focus. And so I left there, and I went on my way. Then I hear somebody in the background talking to somebody else, and they said, where do you live? Where are you going? He said, I'm going to San Francisco. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be in San Francisco in a month. God, do you want me to witness that person? And if you listen, he'll tell you. And he said, yes. So I turned around and they said, I hear you say you're going to San Francisco. Why are you going to San Francisco? He said, well, I live there. I said, well, I'm going to be there in a month. So I was just curious why you said you were going to San Francisco. He asked me, why are you going to be there? And I said, well, I'm a preacher. And that's all it took. He put his head down and he goes, God's trying to get a hold of me. I said, what do you mean? He said, today I buried my 21-year-old daughter. I said, we better talk. I sat down and I led the man to Christ. And I loved it. Then I got up and I said, God, I just want to be with you. I loved it. But if there's anybody you want me to witness to, I want to. But I want to be with you more than anything. And I get on the plane. There's nobody sitting by me there. And I said, God, is there anyone you want me to talk to? And there's a guy over here. And it's like God said, well, just say something. So I leaned over and I looked at him. And he had a nice tie, a nice shirt, nice haircut. I thought either he is an independent Baptist or he's in the military. So I leaned over and I said, sir, you wouldn't happen to be a Christian, would you? And for some reason I asked that. He said, well, yes, I am. I said, brother, do you mind if I slide over and we can have a little fellowship? And so I slid over. He said, come on over. So I said, you look familiar. I wonder, I'm an evangelist, if you had ever happened to have been in one of my revival meetings. You look familiar. He said, well, where do you preach? And I can tell you. I said, well, um, I usually preach in Baptist churches. Where do you go to church? He said, well, sometimes I'm a Mormon. Sometimes I'm a Catholic. Sometimes I'm a Jew. And I figured out he probably wasn't a Christian. And so I said to him, well, where do you live? He says, San Francisco. And this is right after I led this man to the Lord. I said, well, I'm going to be in San Francisco in a month for a meeting. You ought to come. He said, I'll come. And then I said to him, now here are the dates. He looked at him and he said, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to be gone. Where are you going to be? He said, well, I'm moving. I said, oh, so you'll be gone. Well, where are you moving to? He says, Belleville, Michigan. I said, Belleville, Michigan, I'm going to be there for a revival meeting in a month and a half. He said he'd come. Now, the day that he was going to come, he got cold feet and decided not to come. And so he was going to go in his terminology to a non-denominational church because they would not make him feel conviction. That's what he said. And so he started driving to this non-denominational church at his choice. And he decided, well, I'm just going to go there. Well, he turned this way. That way got a little confused, didn't know where it was going. And he thought, well, I'm never going to make it there, so I'm going to go to the very first church that I find. So he drives down this road, makes another turn that way, makes a wrong turn that way, and before long he pulled into the exact church where I was preaching a revival meeting. (laughs) Now that is God. And what I'm saying is, I really believe that we could experience greater power with God if we'd focus on being connected to God. Let's bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer.